0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Master Instructor Roundtable. Marty Miller, Regional Master Instructor, here with my fellow Regional Master Instructor and dear friend, Miss Wendy Batts. How are you doing today? I am good, Marty. How are you? Great. I'm looking forward to this topic because I think of all of our collective years of being with NASM, I think that uh, there was a lot of not fully understanding our flexibility continuum. And I think that dynamic stretching was also one of those kind of areas that uh, there was some confusion on. So I think that with the new content and what we're going to talk about today, I hope we're going to clear it up for a lot of people.
1: Yes. I know Marty and I had seen some stuff on the Facebook page. So we do appreciate all the feedback and comments and yes, dynamic stretching is now um, programmed. If you look at the new CPT, the seventh edition that came out, you know, there were some questions about how can dynamic stretching now be in phase one as well as two, three, four, and 5. And so when in the past, it was literally programmed just for phase five. So hopefully, after today, we're going to clear up all of those questions.
0: I am confident we're going to clear those questions up, right?
1: (laughs) Me too. I don't know if that makes it sound arrogant or not, but I'm really feeling it today. So (laughs) So let's talk about what we are going to cover. So when we look at it, we are definitely number one, I think it's important to define it. And then we're going to talk about shockingly enough, your assessment results and utilizing the NASM OPT model and how you know which stretches you should do and where. Um, We'll talk a little bit about uh, the stretching continuum that we use in all of our programming. However, you know, the way that we have it listed in the model and and why we do what we do, we'll talk about the definitions of that, but then specifically focusing on the dynamic portion. And then Marty, how do you mix it up or should you?
0: Right. I think that this is a a great way to you know, talk about this topic and give some people some things that they can put into action tomorrow when they go back in their facilities, and start training their clients.
1: Yes. Because, you know, I think the big thing too, is when people read research and Marty and I, when it comes to stretching, you know, we have said this many, many times when you're looking at research and people are saying that static stretching before you do any activity is bad and it's going to lead to injury and that you definitely don't want to do that. I am going to say, what are they stretching? What assessments did they do beforehand? Are they stretching the right muscle? And does it make sense for the client, the sport? And ideally, just in general. So, hopefully, um, you know, that's one of the things I, I always say at the very beginning is, oh, that's great. You read research. Who wrote it? How long ago was it? What muscle did they stretch? And why did they stretch that one particular muscle? And I always get that hmm. <laughs>
0: You know, and I think Wendy, this could be a takeaway, but because we're going to focus more on stretching, I'll kind of lay it out there. Is for those of you that you know maybe don't enjoy reading research or still have to learn how to read research and then apply that with critical thinking towards you know what you're doing. Is the good news is NESM has read all the research. They've had research done on the model. All the relevant research is in your book or whatever course you're taking. So that's the good news is, as Wendy and I always say, is if you use the model, let it be your guide, let it be your best friend, because that is the way this is designed. So if we have something in there for reasons such as static stretching or such as dynamic or active, where there's a reason and a rationale based on the science. So that's the one beautiful thing is you, you may want to get more into reading the research, but understand that we've put it right where it belongs, because that's what the research is showing. So that way, as I always say, let the model work for you. And Mm -hmm. then you'll learn maybe more and more about the little nuances of the science. But don't just like randomly go off track of the model, because that's not what the literature says.
1: Such valid points, Marty. All right, we're done. (laughs) Yep. Mic drop or out. Thanks for playing. But, you know, I think it's important. Let's let's define, you know, and, and I'll go through this and say one specific word in the definition. So if we go to the next slide and we look at the definition and we think about dynamic stretching, I think it's important to think when we're using the muscles force production and momentum to move the targeted joint through the ready for this Marty? full available range of motion without compensation. Right. And so. And- what, what ends up killing me when we start listening to, or I listen to some trainers speak about dynamic stretching and how you have to do it before, you know, you go and do an actual sport. I'm not disagreeing with that. I absolutely do not disagree with that, but if somebody has a compensation and they're not able to get full available range of motion. So for example, if we lo- you know, look at the ankle. We know, Marty, because of our years of experience and you know using a goniometer for so many years, most people are limited in dorsiflexion. So ideal range is 20 degrees of dorsiflexion. We usually do not see that in a majority of people. And so therefore they're lacking full available range of motion. So are you truly going to benefit and get the most out of dynamic stretching if you don't try to work on that range of motion beforehand?
0: Right. And I think the other thing too it's, it says it in there in that definition, you know, kind of implied, but what I like to say too, is with control, you know, control obviously could be, if I'm letting my low back arch, I'm not going through my available full range of motion without compensation, but sometimes people just get go, they, they're going too fast with their dynamic stretches as well. So that can be on a continuum, you know, Wendy and I both worked with the lead athletes, we both work with the senior population. We're probably somewhere in the middle, right? Randy is you could have some, all, three different Wait, people. Doing. I'm in the
1: middle of senior, where, where,
0: where I'm not that. We're in the oh. middle of seniors and elite oh. athletes. Like oh. we're, right? We're not elite <laughs> I know you're talking about my age
1: again. I'm like, listen, hey, no, no, okay, no, no. yes, I'm about about our, having a birthday our,
0: soon. <laughs> I'm talking about our abilities, right? We're active <laughs> and we're way. healthy and we, we're yes. in great shape, but we're not going to be able to move at the same pace as our elite athletes, right? So the key thing is, A dynamic stretch does not have to be what you see an elite athlete do ours could be at a pretty quick tempo and then maybe my mom's her first time doing dynamic stretch may be very slow methodical but it's dynamic for her so that that dynamic is still on a continuum it doesn't have to look explosive for everybody
1: and and i think that's another key point is It shouldn't really be explosive when we're doing dynamic stretches. You're trying to get through the full available range of motion. And in order to do like, let's say we're doing something like a lunge. If you're doing lunges very quickly and you're just going from one to another to another, to your point, Marty, you can start to see compensations. You're not really getting into it, letting the muscle kind of elongate like we're supposed to, especially if we're looking at trying to get, you know, activation of the glute and the quad, which are the prime movers and getting good range of motion and stretching and the opposing hip flexor on the, on the other side. And, you know, do you want to add a balance component to that? Are you adding rotational movements and are you separating your torso, you know, from the lumbopelvic hip or is it moving as one unit? What's the goal of that particular stretch and are you getting full available range of motion? And if not, then either that's not a really good choice for them to do as the dynamic stretch, or as we're gonna talk about in the next few slides, maybe do a continuum.
0: Yeah, and, and the key thing is if you're not, you know, we, we've hammered this with resistance training. If you're not doing ideal form, you're either getting you know better at good form or you're getting worse, right? There's really no in-between. If I allow a compensation and I'm doing it under load, I'm gonna get stronger at the compensation. Same thing goes as we look at dynamic flexibility. If I allow a compensation like my low back arch or my head to jut forward, I'm only allowing the body to get more comfortable with that patterning. So just like anything else we do with dynamic stretching, we have to have full control and be able to either get the range of motion we need from the right joints or limit range of motion from other joints. And then hopefully we're doing that at some level of um, towards a speed that will mimic what we want to do in real life, but doesn't mean form and technique goes out the window here just because it's in the flexibility portion.
1: Exactly. And Marty Miller and myself, Wendy Batts, are here on this week's Master Instructor Roundtable, and we're talking about dynamic stretching. And I think you know with us defining it and really breaking up just what the definition means, I think first and foremost, that's the most important, because if you want to, you know, stretching is is trying to prepare the body. It's not the actual workout itself. And, you know, before we would get into any type of stretching, we would, unless there's some contraindication of why you shouldn't, you know, start with foam rolling the areas that either um, are overactive that we found in, the, in the, um, the assessment. And then at that point moved into, okay, what are the muscles that are gonna be used? what's appropriate, and then then getting into obviously this stretching. And so a question that I see or hear often, and Marty, I'll pose it to you because we've kind of already answered this, but if I foam roll the areas that are overactive, why should I still have compensation and dynamic stretching when I'm spending time working on that and and the, the rolling session?
0: Well, and that's why we have an integrated flexibility model, right? Everyone should foam roll regardless of what phase of training you're in because it allows those muscles to be down-regulated, increases circulation. And part of it for me, too, is a mental preparation for what's to come regardless of my workout. But if I, like, for example, Wendy, you know this, I got in late last night from a trip. I, I didn't get all my mobility in. Even if today was, quote unquote, a power workout day, and I, I, sh- I could technically go right from SMT right into dynamic. You know, I was sitting on planes last night, things like that. So you know, that means I may have some tissue that is becoming chronically shortened or for somebody who's never gotten to the mobility that I have is chronically shortened. So that bridge in between between the self myofascial techniques into the dynamic that in between allows you to lengthen the muscles back to where they need to be. Then if you jumped into active afterwards, you're firing up the functional antagonist. So when you do start to move at speed, the body's ready to go. And now you can put in the planes of motion and the speed and the ranges of motion that you can control. So that's what the beautiful part of that, you know, the continuum is, is that you just kind of go from simple to complex, like we would do in any other progression.
1: And I think that really kind of focuses on the second bullet point that you're going to see that it's not meant for everyone. And if somebody has, you know, when we go through and we do an overhead squat assessment, it's not unrealistic to see someone's, you know, feet turn out, their arches fall, their knees cave in, an arch in their back, their arms fall forward, their head's jutting forward. And it's like when you look at the check sheet, it's like check, 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 check. And it's not like you're gonna say, oh my goodness, how do you move in life? Because we know that if you're gonna stand up, you're gonna stand up whether you're using the right or wrong muscles, you're gonna make it happen. And so at that point, if you see multiple compensations, you know that they wouldn't be able to execute stuff. They don't have good range of motion pretty much anywhere right now. Going into a a dynamic stretch does not make sense. However, if you reevaluate every four to six weeks, you see that your client is getting better range of motion. You want to actually start doing more challenging exercises or you want to prepare them for them to go and do some SAQ stuff right after the flexibility component, then doing dynamic stretches would be beneficial for that individual as long as they could do it without compensation. And I think we just let that go. Static stretching doesn't matter if you have compensation or not. I'm warming up the body to prepare it for what's ahead. And that is absolutely incorrect.
0: Correct. Correct. So this is why I'm so glad that we started to teach people how to put it in all phases. So for those of you that are just joining, myself, Marty Miller here with fellow master instructor Miss Wendy Batts, we are going over dynamic stretching. So that is today's topic.
1: Yes, and so Marty, can I ask you another
0: quick question? Absolutely. So why why
1: did NASM include it in all phases?
0: Well, because you know when we looked at the model the first time, and when I say first time, back. In the late 90s into the 2000s when the course was built the way i like to describe it is we were building it in a perfect situation where everyone's going to start at one phase get to that level of phase of training and then go to the next phase the next phase the next phase but obviously people like yourself and myself wendy and our other awesome nasm instructors and people that are really understood the model they started to hybrid and blend some of these phases of training together because they could do that i gave you an example where Today easily could have been a lower body power day for me, but I knew I needed some static stretching, not because I'm chronically short in those tissues, but because I had missed my flexibility for my mobility for a day. And I had just sat on an airplane and didn't get in. So I knew that, hey, let me get my hips opened up a little bit with Mm -hmm. the self myofascial techniques and then some static. And then let me go into my active and then do dynamic. So I think from getting people to understand how this continuum could be used for everybody in every phase, I think that opens up more people to a full understanding of the beauty of the different flexibility techniques. Because there's a lot of people that they're like, well, I want to do power and that's where I'm at. And, you know, I'm just going to skip these other parts of the flexibility continuums because they weren't in the textbook written out that way. So I think that we did a good job as a company going back and saying, hey, the continuum is still what the science says, but here's how you can use it in all phases. And even for somebody that's new to fitness, let's say somebody moves reasonably well, and then after your self-myofascial techniques and their static stretch, a lot of their compensations go away. They don't have previous injuries, et cetera. You might be able to use some of the dynamic as part of their exercise progression, right? Like a prisoner squat, that could be a total body exercise for somebody. So mm-hmm. is it a is it a, a total body exercise? Is it dynamic stretching? The answer is yes. So that's another reason why it's important for us to dissect this and teach people how you can utilize this with almost everybody, as that slide says.
1: Hmm. So are you saying that the model's not rigid, that it's flexible? It's-
0: no pun intended. It's dynamically <laughs> flexible. Wow. All right. Well, moving
1: on. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so we move on.
0: That's just us, you know. <laughs> oh, totally.
1: I've been thinking about that all day.
0: <laughs> just kidding. You didn't tell me, though. I had to react.
1: Uh, yeah, I really just, uh, you know, it was one of those when you were like, it's very flexible. I mean, really, guys, the model is flexible. And um, our producer loved it as well, just so yeah, you know. But, um, <laughs> uh, but you're going to hear... Marty and I say this today, you've heard us say it in the past, you've heard us say it the day we started working here, and you'll hear it probably until I am lying, you know, taking my last breath.
0: We may even say it at our, you know, funerals, like,
1: yes, if we, you know, don't even want to go there. But yes, but the thing is, guys, it's all about your assessments. And we have said that from time and again, and what is the assessment saying about that individual? How well are they moving? Or how well are they not moving? What is their program in their brain? Meaning, what, what is it that their brain automatically does and to allow the body to move? Is it because of relative flexibility that they're super flexible in certain areas and not flexible in others? Is it because of repetitive motion that has caused some, you know, some major compensations to occur? But if you notice that in the assessment, and even when you look at the image, you're gonna look for, when you're looking at it from the anterior view, do their feet stay in line with their second and third toe? You know, are, we're looking at, you know, basically you know, focusing mainly on the foot and ankle and the knee. And then on this, you know, from the lateral view, do they make parallel lines? We look for parallel lines for equal weight distribution. So that's how we know that we're not, you know, we don't see a forward lean. We don't see an arch in the back. We don't see, um, you know, like a, a roundness of the back or a forward head. And then from the posterior view, what are their arches doing? Do they have a shift to one side or the other? And, you know, like how do they look in general? And based on that, your assessments should say, okay, if they are moving properly, then maybe we start them in phase two or phase three. However, if they have compensations, we've talked about this. We usually start them in phase one. And then depending on how their body adapts, we'll be there for four to six weeks, maybe less, maybe more depends on the client. And then you're going to choose the right flexibility in order to increase greater ranges of motion throughout the joint to let them move better so then they can get up to phase five if that's their ideal goal and where, where they're headed. And so I think, you know, we've said this time and again, just because you can do a dynamic in every phase, if they can't move in a good range of motion, then it's not good for that client at that time. And so let the assessments lead you into the right phase and then, you know, and then at that point adjust accordingly.
0: Yep. And, you know, Wendy, I, you and I both worked with athletic populations and one that comes you know to mind quickly is, you know, our senior or active aging golfers. So if they're going to go golf, right, no matter what you tell them to do, and you know that they're four to six weeks away from maybe moving better, that doesn't mean that after their stabilization, I may not, again, think about dynamic flexibility as another tool, whether it's the sandbags, kettlebells, Indian clubs, battle ropes understanding dynamic flexibility and having a bunch of different dynamic uh, flexibility or stretches you can go to, I may finish that workout with some modified dynamic stretching. So that way, when Mm -hmm. they go to the golf range right after our workout, they're as prepared as they can be. So this is where, again, we were talking about made a joke of it, how flexible the model is. So, you know, this is where, It doesn't have to be ballistic. It it shouldn't be ballistic. It's got to be controlled and it doesn't have to be massive ranges of motion at the beginning either. It's what they can control, but you'll be able to start sprinkling some of these in, in every phase. If you follow the continuum.
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the ones with my golfers that I love to do is like when you kind of lock the lumbar spine and then at that point, put your hand behind your head and you go into some thoracic rotation. I mean, it's thoracic rotation. They're not utilizing lower and upper body, but they're really trying to focus on core, getting better range of motion throughout movement. And that's going to help prepare them when they get on the actual course. And so to your point, what are they doing? What's the purpose of it? And, and you know, is it something that's applicable and going to be helpful for your client? And that should determine how you should program. And,
0: and Wendy, just because you said that maybe we, you know, we always talk about topics. Maybe we come back and we, in a couple of weeks and we talk about, and we show some different, Mm-hmm. Uh, dynamic stretch. I think we take it for granted. Like we, we have so many choices, but if you think about the one you talked about, it's almost like a child's pose where you're just going through mm-hmm. kind of like a, a door swinging. That's almost just one joint. So it's, it's going to be an easier one to start with because they don't have to control everything where if you did a prisoner squat or a push up with rotation or a lunge with rotation, that's a more complex dynamic stretch because we've got full body. We've got multiple planes of motion, especially if you start getting into the transverse plane. So again, having the ability to look at simple to complex, that is a great safe way to start someone with dynamic stretching because they're only focused on one body part and you've kind of locked down their lumbar spine. So they can't really get into a compensation. They just may be limited in their thoracic rotation, but no harm, no foul with that. So again, maybe this is a topic for another day where we kind of map out some simple to complex
1: I like it. And if you're just joining Marty Miller and I on this week's Master Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about dynamic stretching and we've talked about the definition and the importance of moving through available range of motion without compensation. And then we've talked about, shockingly enough, assessments that are going to help us determine what is the best protocol for your client, where they should start and, and, and how we should progress them as we move along in their programming. And if we go to the actual next slide, then we're going to actually kind of get a little more detail into utilizing, you know, or thinking about just how the body works in general. And as we've said, it takes the body about four to six weeks to adapt to the demands that we're placing on it. And so we train in a very slow, controlled fashion. We work on proper execution and quality over quantity. We work on trying to develop full ranges of motion, especially in our stabilization endurance phase and phase one, because we are trying to build that solid foundation in order to put strength and then power, because we're only as strong as we are stable and we're only as powerful as we are strong. So if you think about it, that bottom phase one that people are like, oh, that's the easy phase, If there's compensation, it should be the hardest phase because you're really focusing on the eccentric contraction and looking at how the body's moving. And so think about this on any stretch that you do, even the static stretches, Marty, and you have seen this. When we have people stretch their calves, they'll put their hands up against the wall. They'll bring their back foot. Let's say they're stretching their left calf. They bring their back foot back and you look at how they're stretching and their foot's externally rotated. Okay. Compensation. So are they really getting a good stretch in their calf? The answer to that is no, because especially in their overhead squat, if their feet went out, then they're feeding into that compensation. When in all reality, when they're doing just a static stretch, their foot should be slightly internally rotated to really focus on the lateral gastroc. So, so when you think about that, just, just realize movement, especially even statically is going to lead to what happens throughout that same continuum in the stretch flex, you know, in the, and the stretching flexibility and con- that por- portion of the continuum.
0: Right. And, you know, Wendy, you and I, once we both saw this model, our goal was to not reinvent anything, but just to master the model, be able to use it for every single population and then add in the different tools that we like to use on top of it. Like I said, whether it's suspension training or anything dumbbells, because I always say I don't make the rules, This is what science has shown for over 25 years that an integrated approach based on someone's movement assessment, going through corrective exercise into the phases of training that we've laid out, and then NASM has done all the research as we just talked about, so the acute variables are done for you, if you follow it, you're going to get the best results. Dynamic stretching, yes, it's an absolute must for somebody that's about to do a power workout, but what we wanted to show is how you can use that tool of the flexibility continuum in all the phases if you really know how to manipulate that tool within the person's capabilities.
1: Yes. And the last bullet point, I think we could say over and over again, don't rush into it. If they're not ready, don't do it. Because if you, if you are, are teaching them about proper movement patterns, they don't have good range of motion, they're going to compensate. So you're teaching your brain how to compensate, which again, if it takes four to six weeks, we're training it to to not move correctly again. And that's what we're trying to focus on not doing.
0: Right. Yep. Very well said. Thanks. Not surprising.
1: <laughs> uh, talk about progressions and regressions, Marty.
0: Yeah. So again, follow the model, follow the science. So we're always going to advocate doing some soft tissue work first, whether it's using a foam roller whether it's using the different mash- massage devices key thing is you know wendy can put her hands on people i can put my hands on people we're talking about self-application you're always going to get better results that's what the research shows if you're going to do some soft tissue work first we've already covered that before we're not here to cover all the science behind that but just understand that when we talk about our flexibility continuum we're assuming that it starts with the self myofascial techniques first then when you look at progressions and regressions, you really have to know available uh, range of motion of a joint. I know Wendy and I will say this often, we're diehards with the corrective exercise specialist because that's the foundation. Get people to move well so then they can move often and at higher speeds. So if you truly understand your range of motion, you'll as you see somebody stretching, or if you're taking our flexibility specialist and you can do the hands-on, you're going to know, okay, this is the available range of motion of anybody that has ideal If I go past that, do they even need the stretch? And if they can't get to that point, what the compensations are, so you know that you're potentially uh, putting them in a a position for compensation. So those are the key things. So progressions and regressions is what stretching technique can I use? Is it something where they can do it standing and they can do it lying down, having a different arsenal? And again, if we even talk about the adductors, there's multiple adductors that need to be stretched. Are you looking at the long adductors? Are you looking at the short adductors, the adductor magnus? So if you really want to be able to target people on any part of the flexibility continuum, anatomy is huge. So we'll always anchor back to the CES for that. But then when you look at dynamics, since we're talking about t- t- today is, remember, you've got basis support, you've got how many joints are involved in the planes of motion, and then you have the speed. So again, a dynamic stretch does not have to be quote unquote dynamic. It could just be somebody simply moving through a range of motion at first, so you can tell them, "Hey, here's where your starting point is. Here's where you finish, and be careful of these one or two compensations." So again, it can it can speed up over time, but don't think out of the gate is how fast you move; it's how well you move at speed without allowing compensation. And a compensation could be something simply losing your balance, not getting the available range of motion because the the stretch is too complex. Like I see people, when do you see this all the time? All right, we're going to introduce dynamic stretching. And they do a push up with rotation and a forward lunge with rotation over the lead leg. It's like, is there other things we can do in between that? You know, that, you know, cause those are more advanced and we'd have to assume that people have good neuromuscular control to do those. So just like anything else, simple to complex, build somebody into it. And then you can always add to the complexity. Well done, Marty.
1: I try. <laughs> I, wish, I try. I wish I had something else to add to that, but I really don't. So I guess we'll just move on to the next slide then. <laughs> so this is, this, you know, I, I, as you guys know, I teach for um, for, for CalU, and we're talking about the stretch continuum even this week. And Marty, I know that you've got his class as well. Yep. And, you know, understanding that you can actually do a continuum no matter what phase you are and stretching, it just, it, it really kind of shocks people. And so as I'm just putting this on one actual slide because I want to, to make sure everyone can focus on this for one second, the self myofascial um, technique. So when we're doing the foam rolling, we're using, you know, percussion therapy, or again, if you are a manual therapist and you're doing hands-on techniques or getting a massage, we're trying to just down regulate overactivity of muscles. Okay, yes, eventually we've we've seen that it can increase range of motion, all that stuff. However, that's the purpose of why we now call it self-myofascial technique because we don't know what we're quote releasing. And you know, like, we're not gonna tear someone's muscle that's alive to see what's happening while that happens. But we know that there's a lot of benefit. And so we do know that it does down-regulate activity. As soon as you're done with that, then if you go into, and there's compensations to be had and you go into static stretching, we're trying to focus on statically stretching the overactive muscles, not all the muscles. And I think that's what like people don't understand. People will say, well, I stretched my calves, my hamstrings, my hips, my, my neck and my, and my pecs. Well, okay. What indicated that you needed to statically stretch those? Well, because they feel tight or it felt like I needed to. And you know we've talked about this, Marty, multiple times, and and I think it's important just to reiterate this again. If someone's feet turn out, they have overactivity in their calves. So you know that if they go into a calf stretch, that's going to be very beneficial. If you did a goniometer and you saw that they did they were lacking range of motion in their ankles, then that's another indication, okay. Or if they did their mobility assessments that are now found in the new CES and they quote passed, then you know it was underactivity, not not that the muscle itself was what it needed to be stretched. So there's a bunch of different ways that we can determine the right the right way to program. However, if somebody has an anterior pelvic tilt, their hips are tight, which unfortunately because we sit so much is very, very common, you should stretch the hip flexors and not the hamstrings. Even though if you bend over, you feel like your hamstrings are going to snap because they're so tight. Well, they're not tight, they're taut, meaning that they're already in a lengthened position because of the forward anterior rotation of the pelvis. It actually lifts that hamstring in a lengthened position. So even though they feel like you can pluck it, they feel tight and then they're in a lengthened position. So if Marty had a string, I had a string and we pull it, then you can pluck it and make, you know, it's tight, right? But it's not tight because of it being in a shortened position, it's taut. And so then if I add a static stretch to that, I'm actually not helping anything. If anything, I could cause a strain, sprain or some other kind of tear possibly into a muscle because I didn't know what I should stretch. So another thing of going back to that assessment of the overhead um, squat assessment, it's really good to have that assessment and baseline. So then you're focusing on the overactive muscles. That's going to help realign the joint because we're working to regain optimal range of motion sorry, that was my rant, but that is super important. And I really wanted, I know it's not about static stretching today, but that's the reason we do that.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, very well said. And I think that, uh, you know, again, we need to get people to understand that there's this very specific scientific reason why, and we slotted it where it needs to be, and you can use it as a full continuum. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, almost every single phase, even when I'm doing my stabilization phase, I'll still go through a flexibility continuum. Cause even if I do one dynamic, it kind of just gets my mind, right. You know, I'm going to go back and just do stabilization, but I'm only going to do it within the exercise that I can control. And if I was brand new to stabilization training, I wouldn't be ready for dynamic. But even if now having done this for over 17 years, even if I'm doing full stabilization training and it's that, that only, I still may do one or two dynamic as a, you know, a cardiovascular warm up, or I may do some dynamic at the end as a metabolic challenge. You know, so again, I can use it if it just makes sense to why.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, when we, one thing that we, we think, so for example, let's say you go to a basketball game and, you know, you go down, you sit down, you, you know, you buy your glass of water and your healthy snack, right. you right. <laughs> instead of beer you're and your popcorn, box. you're sitting down or a hot dog. Um, You're sitting there and you're watching these guys out on the court and they're doing their free throws, they're running drills, they're running around and they may go off and they may get stretched by their athletic trainer, whatever the case is. But, you know, especially being on the back end and Marty, you know, this as well, based on what you've done, they don't see what happens before they run out on that court. And most of those individuals have done an overhead squat or some sort of assessment. They spend time actually foam rolling using a percussion device maybe getting hands-on treatment with their trainers before then. So they're statically stretching. Then they go through some active flexibility. And so when we think of active flexibility, we're getting good range of motion with the static, um, you know, on the areas that are overactive. But then when we think about active stretching, it's reciprocal inhibition, which just means as one muscle shortens, the opposing one has to lengthen. That's what moves our joints. And so going and holding two to four seconds, relaxing and trying to get good range of motion through the joints, and then actively going into dynamic, full available range of motion type exercises, we're going to see the benefit. And so it's not that these guys come in, put on their jersey and go out on the court. They have actually warmed up their body, getting better range of motion, hopefully doing some activation stuff. I know people that are, you know, are part of the NASM um, you know, teams or whatever, they absolutely do that before they get out on the course. Yeah. Um, or the court. But I mean, I think it's important to understand that as Marty said, going through this is not going to to do anything other than help the body prepare it even more. So if you're going to do dynamic stretch, what needs to be stretched, activate and, and move the joint, then do full available range of motion with movement and then go do what you want to do. And you're going to have a better outcome
0: without a doubt. And again, you know, when you, you, you and I both train all kinds of different athletes happened to be at a PGA tour event this week was in their trailer and Every single golfer that, you know, these are elite golfers at the highest level, spent 45 minutes in there before they went and even picked up a club. And that wasn't their workout. That was just their movement preparation. And you could see them all grabbing the foam roller, going through some static, going through some active, going through some core activation, then into their dynamic. And then boom, then they go out and play golf.
1: Yes. Super, super important to realize that, you know, all of this, when we call it a continuum, continue to do it. It's only going to help. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So if we would go on to the next one, I think, you know, we've, we've really hit home on this with the quality versus the quantity. And know. not
0: surprising that we talk about that, right. That it's, you know, we want perfection, right. Or as close as someone can get, you know, we, it's not about the volume it's about, are they getting every movement to where it's looking to create the change properly? Not just volume for the sake of volume, not just range of motion in this sense for range of motion, because there's some range of motion we don't want. So this is where we're very specific. And we've already talked about some examples how you can start with shorter range of motion and build to the full available range of motion that most people would have over a period of time. You do not have to start there uh, day one.
1: Right. And you know, no matter if you're doing any type of exercise or any type of anything, never, ever sacrifice your form for a number. Don't get in positions that that you shouldn't be in. And, you know, if we go back and we really look at this slide, these are just some of the ones that literally when we're putting this down. I'm like, oh, I did this one, this one, this and this and this one, this one. Mm-hmm. you know, but again, are these appropriate for every single person out there? No, just because they're common doesn't mean it should be appropriate for your client. And that's why understanding your client before adding in dynamic stretching and even choosing your exercises, if you know that they're struggling in certain movement patterns, then you want to maybe not include those at that point in time, work on better range of motion for quality of movement to be better. And then you can start adding in some of these other ones that we have listed. But but these are some of my favorites. I don't know, Marty, if there are other ones too. I know that you,
0: Oh, there's you a ton kind of-, of other ones, but I just had the ugh over inchworms because it's not that it's hard from a conditioning standpoint because of my lack of range of motion, my lumbar spine, it takes me a long time to get down the distance. To me, to
1: me, those are easy. So it's the right. other so stuff. Like, uh, you know,
0: but Our available range of motion is different.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and, and no, it's not because I'm a girl. You know, it's because I there are certain areas that I move better, calves not being one of them. I'm still working on those, but
0: <laughs> I'm gonna work on my inchworms tomorrow. There I you go.
1: Yeah, send me a video, we'll post it yeah. here.
0: How about yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> so, not Marty, want to Not until I like, get to a perfect inchworm in my mind, and I'll show you the before. I'll
1: be yeah. like, oh, he's winging his head's forward. Oh, look no, at that. His foot's going down. That part up. will be
0: okay. It's just, it's, I might have a centimeter worm instead of an inchworm. Like, it I might. Know. I don't get that my feet towards my hand thing and I'm not there yet. Oh wow. well. Well, so
1: you four, know
0: what? 2022 quarter goals. Inch, <laughs> it's a quarter-inch
1: worm. <laughs> Perfect. Well, why don't you go over the key takeaways?
0: Awesome. Shockingly, number one, right out of the gate, assessment should guide your stretching choices. Wendy did a great job of talking about not stretching everything for specific reasons. And we also talked about working within the available range of motion when you get too dynamic. I think we uh, also spent a little time, uh, hopefully it, it resonated with considering stretching on that continuum that you can use all three in a workout. If it makes sense, always, always reassess every four to six weeks. That's a standard assessment. You should be reassessing every single set, every single rep, but go back to your standard protocols every four to six weeks learn to be creative. Like I said, there's different ways that you can um, learn the flexibility continuum, just like you would any other tool. Make sure you have a, a big arsenal of different flexibility techniques, because again, I'm not going to be able to inchworm like Wendy would. So you may have to find another modification for me or some other way to do it. So again, try to get creative and then they'll open up your opportunities to even have more fun. And then without a doubt, quality of movement over quantity of movement.
1: Just because you can, doesn't mean you should.
0: (laughs) Right. So I'm not doing inchworms tomorrow.
1: (laughs) There you have it. Well, if you guys want to get a hold of us, you know, um, you can email me directly at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13.
0: And then Eric, our producer, is going to throw my information up there as well. It's marty.miller at nasm.org. And then Instagram is dr.martymiller72. So, Wendy, thanks for bringing this topic up. I know you saw it on the Facebook page. So, great catch. I think this, uh, hopefully, is going to be very beneficial to all of our people who attended. And thank you so much for attending. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable.